Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Florida Man shares his meteoric rise in his short career on Wall Street. Learn how he got over $150,000 in compensation as a first-year analyst and over $200,000 as a second year. In this episode, we follow his path from a large state school in Florida to a bulge bracket investment bank all the way to a family-owned private equity fund, and finally, to his most recent landing spot, a traditional private equity buyout fund. Make sure you stay to the end to learn his best piece of advice and what ABR means. Enjoy. Florida man, thanks for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. So it'd be great if you could just give a quick summary. Uh, Yeah, so I'll start kind of high level on my background. So I'm from uh, Florida, given the name Florida man, uh, from the rural part of the state, uh, went to a state school, uh, Division One college to play baseball, actually, was recruited on there, um, played for a year and a half, and then got cut because I learned I wasn't athletic enough at the end of the day, uh, started focusing more on my major, which was finance, um, went straight from um, that school to kind of a um, mid-tier bulge bracket bank, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there to a family office in their private equity arm. And then recently left to join a uh, generalist middle market fund, uh, all within New York City. Nice. And so let's start back all the way um, in Florida at your state school. So did you, when you got recruited for baseball, tell me about that. Were you thinking like, hey, I'm going to go to the majors? <laughs> Like, I know, because as, uh, as a high school kid, you know, you're probably, to be recruited or to come in at D1, you must have been pretty good. Yeah, so, you know, baseball is a weird thing. It's like, it, it's one of the few college sports where if you play at a college team, you're the B-grade player, mm-hmm. because all the A-grade players get drafted. Right. Um, so you learn pretty early on, if, if you're not getting recruited to uh, start at the best schools, you're probably not going to go pro. Right. And so even, you know, the seventh hitter at Texas is probably not going to go pro. And they have to know that really early on. So baseball can be a very humbling sport, not just from that perspective, but uh, from the fact that you fail 70% of the time as an offensive player. So mm-hmm. I never really thought I was going to go pro. I, I liked the, I played on a really competitive travel ball team growing up. Yeah. Uh, and then at a really competitive high school and we traveled around the country and played some of the you know, best teams from all around, uh, you know, California, Nevada. So Texas, you knew you were, you knew you were uh, good, but you knew 
pro is probably unlikely. <laughs> I, I had seen, I'll say it like this, I had seen people like Bryce Harper at, um, you know, like showcases that we would compete against, and I just said, like, there's a different level of skill yeah. um, that puts certain people in a different category. So I knew my place early on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me with soccer, man. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. So cool. So you, um, you kind of went through um through the program there and then so pretty early on you knew hey i you know sports aren't going to be my ticket um were you a good student uh i was so i i basically declared finance as a major very early on maybe like sophomore year in college both my parents are accountants and i knew i wanted to do something technical but i knew i didn't want to be a an accountant. So I chose, I chose finance because I thought it brought some social aspect of, um, kind of business along with the technical aspect. Sure. And then there was a program at the school I went to that I ended up joining, um, as a result of focusing on that major. So I was like a TA, I was involved in like the student run hedge fund, which a lot of these state schools and, and a lot of private schools have as well. Yep. Um, so really immersed myself in the major from an early point and, uh, went from there. So where was it well known? Like banking was like investment banking was kind of was at the top kind of destination for for people coming out of your school. I mean, given it's a state school, um, I'm sure it has some decent alum kind of network on there. Can you talk to me a little bit about were you able to land a junior summer internship, a sophomore internship? How did how did you kind of progress through your college career to kind of set yourself up? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my sophomore year. Um, I did a, this is kind of a tip. I did pretty much the most typical route. I did a, sure. you know, semi high finance internship. So I interned at a wealth management office, um, in Florida at a, at an office where the kind of the head manager ran a semi active hedge fund. And so kind of learned a bit about capital markets from that perspective and capital and the difference in debt and equity, uh, and that kind of thing. And then from mm-hmm. there, uh, did a junior year internship in New York City in banking, um, and then joined the same bank uh, after that. And I would say the pipeline from that school is strong. It's a you know top ten public school kind of a thing. Yep. Um, and you know, if you're in this certain program at that school and you're immersed in your major, I, I find that the placement's pretty attractive. And the alumni group, even though it's a giant school, is pretty supportive. Given especially in New York. Uh, given there's not that many alumni who come to New York and then take part in uh, banking, but um, it's a growing, uh, it's kind of a growing reputation from that school, and um, I try to help out on the back end as well. So yes, yeah, so, uh, so tell me a little bit about that. About so coming into your, you know, you had the the typical private wealth management summer internship on your, in your sophomore year, like you said. You're coming into your junior year. Were there any banks um, coming onto campus and how did you kind of set yourself up for that? You obviously had like a finance oriented resume. You were doing like the whole hedge fund thing. You were, you know, showing leadership on campus, but what did you, right. what so, did you do? Did, were you talking to people early on? Was it just people, was it the, the coffee chats and the, the, whatever you call it, the, the, when they come on campus, is that what you did? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was kind of interesting. So the school I went to, uh, they basically had this program that took the top, you know, 30 finance majors, mm-hmm. um, made them take the GMAT and then put them in this program. And that program basically was a, you know, boot camp is a funny word, but it, it was like a quick 
intro into what it would take to get an IB internship in New York from a non-target school. Mm-hmm. And so they did mock, uh, mock interviews and resume reviews, and they helped you get a sophomore year internship, and they introduced you to alumni. Uh, we actually flew up to New York, which was my first time in New York. Um, and, you know, we like toured banks with alumni. And so we got a feel for what it was, but I would say going into sophomore year and maybe even after sophomore year, I didn't know what investment banking was. I wasn't from like a large metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. Um, I was from a very rural area. And so investment banking, I remember hearing the term the first time as like a sophomore and having no idea what that meant. Yeah. And uh, slowly progressing and learning it um, through one part being a good student and falling into this program. And uh, secondly, from reaching out to a ton of alumni and being outgoing and uh, going to grab a drink or uh, coffee with as many people as you could. Um, but being so was far never away. something I struggled with, but like, I would definitely encourage others to do the same. But like being so far away, was it the trips to New York that were key or was it the fact that they came down to campus? Uh, yeah, so some banks came down, some didn't. Um, there were, out of the New York banks, there was probably four that made uh, that school a target school. And so it would take, you know, t- two to five kids mm-hmm. uh, from the university as a whole, but almost all of them were from that 30-person program. Got it. Um, and then there were regional banks, uh, so like think SunTrust, Wells Fargo, Mm-hmm. Uh, Stevens, Raymond James, those kind of banks that would also target the same program kids. So there was enough on campus to get exposure, but there were also a, a large uh, group of banks that had no interest in flying down and you had to kind of uh, make your way up. I actually took part in the interviews that happened on campus uh-huh. at one of the New York banks that did target the school. So And you made it in that way. So out of those 30 people, I'm curious this, with this program, was it 100% placement or 80 or what would you say? Into banking. It was like 98 Wow. Um, with like 80% into IB jobs. The other 20% maybe went into like an asset management role or um, so how- every now and then there would be someone who went into kind of an interesting finance kind of corp dev, like someone did uh, the business development department, SX, which I thought was pretty cool. And so what was the, um, what was the, like, was, it, how hard is it to get in there? I mean, assume given everyone's picking from there is probably super competitive. Is it a GPA cutoff thing? You have to interview for it. How does it, how do you even get into that program? Yeah. Yeah. It was all those. So it's, it was less about how good of a candidate you were and how early on you heard about it, I would say. So you had to have like a, I don't know, three, seven GPA, which at a, for whoever's listening that comes from a big state school, you know, your first two years are often, not too challenging. It's a lot of intro classes and, and, a, and a decent GPA is very doable. Um, and it's about hearing about the program and then you apply and you give kind of your involvement, et cetera. And then they make you take the GMAT as a sophomore in college oh, wow. um, to test your aptitude. And I think the cutoff score was like surprisingly high. Like I want to say it was like 700. Wow. Um, okay. It was kind of like if you break that, then you're in. Um, and so kind of all those factors, um, and then they displayed interest in finance and the kind of route of what you wanted to take that you could display to the, um, Fair. what I'll describe as the gatekeepers at that school allowed you <laughs> to join into that program. Fair. And the gatekeepers, are they like professors or are they just stu- other students who are like, it was two professors and then one, uh, administrative, uh, person who actually had a ton of say, even though they lacked, uh, 
finance experience, but did a very good job of vetting uh, what I would describe as motivated individuals. Great. Okay, so you're kind of doing the networking thing. You end up kind of in this interview cycle, dropping your resume. You're in this program. Four of yep. the four of the banks come on. You get do you get interviews across all four because you have you know pretty strong resume and coming from this program. Yeah, so the one thing about the program that I think is interesting is you basically have to say, here are the two banks I want to interview mm, at Okay. out of the maybe eight that come to campus or some, six that come to campus. Some game theory going on, huh? and Game, game yep, theory. Sorry, some game theory going on there, I'm sure, because like you, do you choose the top two or do you choose the ones that are highly – you know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's interesting. It's absolutely that, but it's game theory on the bank's part too, because that administrative person that I was talking about before Mm -hmm. will basically tell the banks, here's who wants to come here. So if they do good, they will accept. And we have to almost agree we will accept. And so that helps the banks get comfortable with extending offers and keeping a very high acceptance rate. Right. And it keeps the administration comfortable because they know they'll have a high placement rate. So, it's a bit of like them, the administration slash professors gaming the system, mm-hmm. but all in all, it's utilitarian. I'm, I'm sure some kids kind of get the short end of the stick um, and some kids benefit greatly, but all in all, I think it benefits kind of everyone because it keeps a pipeline of alumni going into these banks and it keeps the banks happy with their acceptance rates. Yeah, it's actually fascinating. I've heard about these types of programs at all these like larger state schools, it's, it's people are like, Oh, that's a lot of placement. When you think of how large the student population, how many finance majors are, it's actually pretty small. Right. right? Um, so it's important right. early on, like if you are going to a state school or non-target large school to look out for any of these groups or these clubs and figure out what you need to do to get yourself aligned really quickly. Um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to say it's all about, you know, the school I went to had, I don't know, 35,000 undergrads. Yeah. And, you know, business is at a lot of these state schools is one of the most uh, popular majors. Mm-hmm. And although, you know, the finance major is the most natural kind of tangent into banking, there are also accounting majors or economics majors. So when you go to try to get placed, you are probably going to compete against. I don't know, 500 to a thousand kids, where if you come from a, you know, smaller liberal arts school, there's a thousand kids. Uh, that's half the school. Yeah. And so, you know, there are opportunities to differentiate, but keep in mind, these banks aren't going to fill half of their analyst class with the same school, especially not a state school in a lot of cases. And, you know, take that for what you will. Yeah. Um, so differentiation is key early on. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Good to hear. Yeah. I mean, I went to a small liberal arts college and I can say it's, you can almost call it a semi-target because just if you want to get on the street for how small the school is, it actually has a pretty good presence it's at Williams. But anyways, um, right. So I was going to say the NETSCAC school is yeah. a good example, but it's a great example. You know, yeah. uh, I'm familiar with them to some extent. Cool. So you're, you're kind of, so you land, you land this job at what you call the kind of middle tier bolt bracket bank and you're kind of going into the summer. What are your thoughts? How was it? Was it, you know, long working, did you have to work, you know, 80 plus hour weeks? Was it something where it was more just collegial fun? What was that first summer like? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you're trying to get a full-time offer, the hours are going to be long, but you're going up there to get a, it's a 10 week interview. I'm like saying a thing that I feel like everyone hears over and over again, but it really is true, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're there for, 
you're really on the desk for probably eight to nine weeks, depending on how long your training cycle is. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is an interview starting the moment you get there and desk time matters, not just because of like, Oh, I'm the hardest working, but people want to see that you're engaged. And so if you're asking for other forms of work or you're just engaged with the group, like maybe you just want to talk to your peers or the associates or the analysts or whatever, uh, that goes a long way. So when, when people say like, were the hours long, it was like, yeah, they were really long. Um, but it wasn't unbearable at all. It was in fact, like I made really good relationships with a lot of my, you know, summer analyst class that I still connect with today. So. That's cool. um, it, it's just a breeding ground for motivated people your age and like take advantage of that because that may be a big part of your social network in the city going forward. No. Yeah, for sure. And did you feel like was the, was the offer rate pretty solid from this summer? Was it like a 70% higher 80% or would you say? Lower yeah, I think it, I think the bank targets 80% and mm-hmm. I think it was about that, about that 80%. summer. Um, and I think that, so after I started, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I got really familiar with how the hiring process worked. Um, and I think they always targeted 80% and they almost always hit it okay. um, with some, you know, standard deviation of plus or minus 10%, but that's only, um, that's pretty you know, high. From, that, that's pretty high from what a 60 person class. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, high. It was high. That's it was pretty high. high, which is, you know, four out of five basically kids get yep. get the offer did you feel like you were at risk ever during the summer that you'd messed up or did you feel like you were getting good feedback and you were kind of you you felt like you had enough of like the networking skills and outgoing where you were in a good spot no i i i felt like i was in a good spot early on mm-hmm. um like i said that program prepares you like you take modeling classes and mm-hmm. you know they bring in uh, all kinds of people to get you familiar with what you're going to do. Like I, I knew how to spread comps coming in. I knew how to do, you're probably more you know, prepped in the world. Kids. LBO model, that kind of thing where, <laughs> you know, a Nescat <laughs> counterpart may not exactly know how to do that. Clueless. Yeah, totally clueless. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't um, even have a banking summer internships. So you can imagine what, what happened to me when I first started. Um, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So, okay, so you, you survived the, the long summer. Um, you make some good connections, and it, seems like, it sounds like you enjoyed it. Uh, and tell me a little bit, like, uh, did you, any funny stories? Were you able to enjoy the summer at all, go out? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We did, I mean, name an intern bar, right? Like, Thebes or whatever, Beer Garden. <laughs> like, you name it, like, we did it. Um, golfed a lot on, the, you know, on, like, Sunday when we could. Mm-hmm. Um lived in an apartment with a bunch of guys and we all crammed in there all all the school i went to's guys mm-hmm. um who then we lived together uh in our first and second year out of college nice. so it was great and they actually all went to different banks um and now uh, i think all of them except one work at different private equity firms so it's been wow. a highly valuable network to keep uh through the years and i mean they're not just friends but they're great professional networks too so yeah i think that's that's important is like yeah you guys all start out but now it's the same thing with me like the people that start off as analysts i mean i'm older than you but it's incredible like one's running his own hedge fund the other one's at like the top of this like p you know right. all these incredible right. funds and I'm like wow um it's just yep. unbelievable what, what people are doing but um so okay so you're you're kind of 
let's go back to when you kind of started full. So you, you, you go into senior year, you're like super happy, I'm sure, and have a blast your senior year. And you basically are, you know, you're kind of going to be coming in and working pretty hard. Did you do anything to prepare? Did you do anything to kind of leading into the, into the uh, first year besides getting, you know, um, figuring out who you're going to live with and yeah. finding an apartment? Yeah, I, you know, this is not a plug uh, for however many people are listening, Patch, or um, no one told me to say this, but I did do like the Wall Street Oasis, like, uh, I think it was just like an LBO modeling course. And I, and it's funny, at the time, I didn't like judge it based on value. I just judged it based on it was the cheapest. <laughs> and it was pretty helpful. And, um, you know, it was just good to have as like a quick refresher coming into the summer um after you know not taking a year off that's the wrong way to think about senior year but definitely not pushing quite as hard yeah as i had the previous couple of years through interviews and and you know making sure your gpa was high and all that so did some you know preparation kept somewhat abreast in the market you know asked the group that i was going back into for things like equity research reports mm-hmm. um reading materials that kind of stuff uh you know leverage primers to get familiar with terms, things like that. Those things go a long way. It shows your group that you're interested, you're engaged and you want to hit the ground running when you get there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if you just ask for those and you kind of skim them, that, that goes a long way. And I can speak to that from being on the analyst slash, you know, junior associate side when a summer intern would ask for that in advance, I'd be like, I, I like that. And that says a lot. So, yeah, it's interesting because like it's it's almost like you're just showing that you're you're not gonna just kind of slide in and hope things work out. You're you're putting in a little bit of legwork early on. Well, hopefully you got to ex- yeah, exactly. hopefully you got to travel a little bit or do something after right after graduation <laughs> before you started. But were you kind of going yep. going into banking thinking, okay, I know private equity recruiting is gonna start super early since you know it had been moving up at this point. It had been moving up every year or had you heard rumblings yep. of private equity kind of prior to your analyst stint or what were the, what were the thoughts going in there? Yeah. I, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to, um, there was always some thought when I first started in banking that I wanted to go back to Florida. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know exactly what I want to do. I just kind of thought, okay, I'll do a couple of years in New York, um, have a good time, save some money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then go back to Florida and get a Labrador and, you know, go fishing. And <laughs> Did you have debt coming out of school? It, yeah, right. So, Did, you know, yeah. it, it didn't, that isn't how it worked out. And after my, gosh. No, I was, halfway, I was asking, sorry, I was asking if you had any debt coming out of school. Is that why you were like, I'm going to need to save money? Or you're just more like, hey, I'm going to save and then just go back and live a oh, more no, relaxed I, life? I actually had no debt. Okay, um, good. You know, big bonus of state school is if you it's cheaper. Yeah. plan accordingly. And um, yeah, there I I, di- I didn't have any debt, which was nice. I just meant you know, you get overpaid, not overpaid, but you get paid handsomely as a as an analyst. And you know, if you live between your means in some way, shape, or form, uh, you will save some money at the at the end of the year. And you know, based on your bank's performance and. You know, I came out of school in 2015, uh, which was a really good time to go into banking. Uh, market was hot. Lots of deals were getting done. And so for three years, I, I, can't, I pretty much came out into a bull market. Yeah. Um, and tell so me, did can you well. tell me what the pay and ranges were, were? The pay ranges? 
Like where you, Say it again. can you tell me the pay ranges? So was it like uh, 85 base coming yeah. out or 80 base? And then, yeah, I can tell Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you for sure. Um, the first year was 85 and then, uh, my bonus was 70, um, wow. as the first year. So it was like one fifty five all in That's and really that strong. bank 70 was kind of top 10%. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if I got the highest, I think maybe one or two kids got higher. Uh, second year was, um, 90. And then the bonus, my second year was one fifteen, um, which was like a good, a good bonus. That's for a crazy. Second year That's really solid. To, yeah. According to kind of my street <laughs> comp. Your second year out of school, uh, you're making third, you're making over two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and learning a lot, and, and you know, taking on a lot of responsibility. And then uh, was early promoted my third year to associate, so got a nice, uh, you know, like sign on bonus, which um, was, was that, something 25, like forty oh, forty thousand dollars. Yep. And then you start at um, one twenty base. And then I had one bonus as an associate, and it was one fifty. Um, so that year was a really nice year um, for me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, so I can see why you, you, especially with living with a bunch of other roommates, I can see how you could save some money with those. Uh, that was significantly higher than when I was <laughs> banking. I've, I've right. seen those number. Right. I've seen those numbers, but those bonus numbers are really solid. Your bank was probably crushing it those three years. The um, bank was having record years. Our group was having yeah. adequate years mm-hmm. and I was um the top performer. Committed. I was I was performing well. Yeah, I was I was near the top kind of ten percent of my class mm-hmm. uh every year and you know, was really engaged. Um sat on like an internal board at the bank which helped with uh you know, making analysts and associates lives better and basically was placed on that board by being engaged, being outgoing and performing well. Yeah. Um, and so, what do you, think, you know, why do you think, helped with recruiting. Why, and, why do you sorry, think, just why do you think you were able to perform so well? Because uh, there's a lot of go-getters that come into banking that are like not afraid of the long hours, but why do you think, do you think it was that program that prepped you so well with the internships or do you feel like it's yeah. just a personality trait that you developed over time with practice? What, what sets you apart? Cause there's a lot of really smart kids, even personable kids that go into this industry. Yeah. I, I think if you ask like a, an MD or a VP or whatever in banking, like what makes a great analyst better than a good analyst or, you know, something along those lines, mm-hmm. they'll say proactivity. So like looking to do the next step, Mm-hmm. Um, don't just be a computer, like, you know, good analysts can be a computer. You give them work, they turn out work, whatever their numbers are right. Great analysts do the work and then say, this is the actual, the analysis we need to do, or, you know, uh, here's why I actually disagree with that. You know, my MD always told me that my best trait was I bordered the line of insubordination. <laughs> um, and he like loved that. Yeah. And you know, that I think that's where I kind of tiptoed and I was never kind of afraid to say what I meant, but you have to do it in a very respectful way. Um, what I would tell kids to, you know, when I was a senior analyst, second year analyst Mm -hmm. is what goes the farthest to me is a positive attitude. Like you can be the best analyst in the world, but if I hate to come to your desk and ask you for help on something or someone hates to like ask you to stay a little bit later yeah because they're worried about your reaction your bonus is going to be lower regardless of work product 
Yeah. Um, and if your work product is in the 70th percentile, but people do not mind asking for help or want to engage with you on projects, you're going to be top, top bucket, even though your work product may not reflect that. So a positive attitude and engagement go a really long way, not just in your internship, but kind of forever from Fair. my <laughs> four years of experience. So <laughs> take of but. Fair. Okay. So you're, you kind of get the early promotion um, to associate. Was that something that had been in place for several years or was it kind of a new thing when you got it? Uh, it's funny, self-fulfilling prophecy. So that internal board I sat on, I pushed for it. <laughs> and then when it got improved, and well, here's the thing, and, and a lot of people may know this. So Goldman did that. They, mm-hmm. uh, and I wasn't at Goldman, but Goldman Sachs a couple years ago or when I was, in banking so maybe three years ago so call it 2016 2017 ish mm-hmm. implemented the two years as an analyst then an early associate promote yep. in an attempt to keep more kids from going straight to private equity mm-hmm. to incentivize them to stay and show that the bank is investing them etc and when goldman does something you'll notice that the street will often follow yep. um not you know whether it's goldman is better is a weird word but it's more just like they tend to uh, set trends at some kind of uh, organizational culture level that other banks tend to, to kind of follow suit to stay competitive. And so it was a mix of Goldman doing it and then us pushing for it internally. And when that happened, it was like the natural thing would be the guy who pushed to implement it would get the, the, the reward. I think it's hilarious that you're like, yes, you should absolutely get the early promote. And yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, exactly. yeah, yeah, you can promote me now. So you get that promotion and you take it. Was at this stage once you took that promotion, were you like, wait a second here? Do I want to be a banker the rest of my life? Is there what else is going on? When did you kind of pick your head up and say maybe I should start recruiting for PE? What What happened was when I got the uh, early promote, I actually wasn't thinking about um, leaving, but. Uh, as an associate, and I think there's a lot of people who are really cut out uh, for banking, and I think banking is a great profession. And you know, some some analysts who leave banking have this really bad taste in their mouth, whether they had like a bad boss or they had a bad experience or whatever. I left with a good, or I had a good taste in my mouth at that time, and I left with a good one. And so I'm I'm adamant that it's a good profession. I had felt that my learning curve had flattened. And I realized that when I got a promotion and I wasn't doing anything differently than I was doing the year before. And so as a second year analyst, I was often staffed with a first year analyst under me uh, as kind of like support. And I traveled to meetings and, you know, did all the good things of banking, right? Got put on good projects, et cetera. And as an associate, I got a slightly better desk and got knocked out of the bullpen, um, but nothing really changed. And Mm -hmm. then I I was comparing my experience as an early promote associate to my, you know, friends, roommates, colleagues experiences at whatever buy side role they were taking part in. And the conversations I was having with them was they're learning a lot. They're being put under different situations and getting out of their comfort zone. And I felt like I wasn't. And so Mm -hmm. although the bank was supportive or supporting me and I had a positive experience, I realized that, you know, to, to continue perfect or continue developing my, whatever professional toolkit if you will i needed to make a move so i feel like this is i feel like this is common though like the banks are have had this attrition problem for forever really it's just getting worse and worse every year where it's i think it's gone something from like in the 1990s it was something like two and a half years was the average tenure i think now it's something like 
under a year or like a little over a year or something um, right. for an analyst. And so do you feel like this program has helped or just helped on the market? Like the analyst, I'm talking about the analyst to associate early promote. Has it helped? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a good question. And I think the statistics would show. So I know that my year, uh, the other early promote left a year, like six months after me. Mm-hmm. So I would say my year it didn't, but I know the year after they maybe and Oh, just for reference, this early associate promote was kind of like four people every year mm-hmm. out of uh, remaining analyst class. Cause remember this is the end of your second year. So you've had some attrition after your first year. Yep. Um, and so maybe out of the 70 person analyst class that came in, uh, as a first year, maybe there was 40 left in the second year. Mm-hmm. And then they gave four offers. Right. So 10% of the class at that time got an offer to, to kind of, but how many of those people actually take say, it? How many actually take it? Almost everyone takes it, but then a lot of them still jump, right? Yeah. I think a lot, I think a lot of people take it. One, there's a sign on bonus Two, It helps with marketing yourself. If you do want to leave. Yep. Um, and you know, some people may, you know, may argue that that's, uh, ethically wrong to, to just take the promotion that someone else may have gotten and then leverage it for a position elsewhere. But at the end of the day, like that's kind of this industry at the end of the, you know, people move around a lot, um, kind of at every level, not just banking. There's, you'll notice that if you go look up a senior guy at private equity firm X, they're going to be, they're going to have experience from eight or nine places at this point or, you know, six. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's understandable, but like the, it, it just surprises me that there wouldn't be some sort of like, clawback on that signing so like they would give that offer as you're coming up into your second year for so for example like during your bonus there so there is just to answer your question okay yep so you have to give it back Uh, if you leave after before you do a year or something like that i think when the first year it was a 12 month if you finish 12 months there was no clawback now i think they've done 24 months and i think it's prorated so if you stay for six months you only pay back 75%. 75%. Got it. Um, if that makes sense. Um, but interesting. It's, it's interesting, right? Like they found that even banking compensation, which is higher than uh, most uh, private equity. Um, and then, you know, they can give you cash up front in this bonus and, you know, all these things like it, it, kids aren't staying for pay. Like they're actually going for the experience. Mm. Um, and, and, and the learning curve is, is kind of most, most important. So I've seen other banks take part in things like they'll transfer you groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of learn a new industry yeah, or I've heard like, of that. I've heard of that. Know, all kinds of stuff. They you know, get to try like, to get, do you think they get, need to get like get, ping pong get table, quality. ping pong yeah. tables and uh, beer and kegs in the, <laughs> yeah. in, in the bullpens? <laughs> I should, yeah. I don't, that would be so bad. But, uh. <laughs> no liability there. Don't worry about it. The yeah, interns, exactly. interns drinking <laughs> with the analysts. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah it's it's one of those things it's it's just tough for that it, it's i don't know what they're gonna do honestly i think they just have to keep broadening well, you the, know they're already competing with tech um yeah. so like i don't know 30 years ago 40 years ago you would argue that the smartest people go into investment banking mm-hmm. maybe maybe you'd argue that that's how some people would describe it certainly bankers would describe that yeah um now you would argue that the smartest people are probably going to Google or going to 
wherever, right? Like yeah. name tech firm X. And so it's, it's, they're competing for smart talent at a college, not just for different industries, but they're competing um, within finance as well because uh, private equity, there's more private equity firms offering analyst classes for one, and there's more they're offering really early offers um, <laughs> to basically bet that the bank gives them a good training and good experience for two years and then they get to poach them and reap the rewards. Yeah. The, the private equity analyst programs, I know KQR recently started one up. Um, have you seen that be a trend recently where more and more, I know that, I know the recruiting has gotten ridiculously early where it's now what, uh, right when the analysts hit the desk, they get recruited for private equity within right after coming out of training. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I know that what cycle recruiting kicked off, um, and to not age this podcast, it's 2019. So cycle recruiting kicked off in like late September or October ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it was like beginning of October, middle of October for the most part is when cycle recruiting kicked off, which means after training, you've been on the desk two months. But that's not what, you know, private equity, it's funny when people are like, oh, they don't have any experience. Like, that's not what private equity is betting on. They're betting on a smart enough kid who, and then they're betting on the bank to give them a good experience. Right. Right. So, like, that that's the whole business model is, so why you know, not? we're going to bet you for intelligence and motivation, but make sure that you're in a good group at a good bank that we know will give you quality experience. So, why so it makes perfect sense for me from a, if I was a, you know, owner of a private equity firm, why would I hire except from a place where a kid's going to have two years experience when I hire him? That being said, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just read Schwartzman's book. I just finished it. Um, and you know, they hire a third of their juniors fresh out of college. They have an analyst program. So there's, there's an argument to be had both ways. Um, I was going to say, I why don't the funds sure. just go all the way back when people get summer analyst offers or, you know, or they get the, the yeah. full-time offers no, after the junior year. Well, <laughs> you know, banking's adjusted as well, right? Like banking. They're going sophomore. Yeah. Uh, right. Exactly. They're, I mean, there's more sophomore programs, right? Yep. So they're not just recruiting you for your junior internship. Now they're trying to get you as a sophomore and then to come back. I think that's backfired a little bit because. I don't know, sophomores will often leverage that offer to try to go somewhere better as a junior, and then that junior offer will they'll try to leverage somewhere better. It's bizarre. It's like, just leverage the offer. but Like any good banker would, come on. And so anyways, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the funny part, yeah, I've heard, I've heard, I think Bama and a few other places are now giving two-year <laughs> offers. So if they give you a sophomore summer offer, they'll give you a sophomore and junior summer offer, and you have to accept for both years. Which is oh, kind of which is yeah. kind of silly because it's like okay the person could just renege or trade up but um, after their first right. sophomore but anyways um, let's go back a little bit to your you know I'll, we'll wrap up soon but let's go back a little real quick to your your decision and your timing so you did another almost full year um, as an associate junior associate after this quick promo yep. and then when did you start kind of looking for PE how did you did you just start talking to the, the traditional recruiters and getting on cycle how did how did that work yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, halfway through, um, a little bit before halfway through that third year, mm-hmm. uh, I started for the first time, I started throwing my hat in the ring to the general, uh, placement firm world of which I had a lot of good connectivity with because of 
these colleagues and, and roommates and friends that I had connected with. So I'd always ask for reference, mm-hmm. um, which I think is good if you can do that. Um, so, you know, friend X who got placed at, you know, PE firm Y, uh, who has a really good relationship with, let's say, I don't know, Odyssey or something like that. Mm-hmm. He would introduce me via email. I can vouch whatever. And it's a lot more receptive. Um, and often a lot better, especially if you're from a typically non-target, uh, school, um, as you try to jump into private equity, which is well, a lot um, of the recruiters are lazy. They don't want to, they don't want to throw the, yeah. Or the, the, yeah, the kid in front of there. I can edit that out. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's, that's the truth though, right? Like, yeah, uh, they don't want to put the non-target highly, kid, you know, yeah, they don't pedigree, want... pedigree labeled and all that. So, so, okay. So you basically, um, you put your hat in the ring and you get some kind of warm intros and was that, that it, that was enough to get you kind of into the, into the cycle and were the interviews tough? Were they technical? It looks like you kind of came in almost as like, you know, not the typical associate role. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I would, I would have, I was looking for immediate, um, at the end of my third year. So I basically would have had one more year of experience than the, typical associate Mm -hmm. joining and as a result um not just of my you know two-year delayed uh recruiting cycle but my experience and my deal kind of experience on my resume as well my interviews were probably a little bit more technical in nature Mm -hmm. um to make sure that everything checked out which was totally fine and um i would say if you know i would say if the typical private equity associate interview was 50% behavioral and 50% technical. And then of course you're like LBO model test and all that. Mine was probably the first interview is probably 80% technical, just mm-hmm. like deal walkthroughs and, yep. you know, knowing every kind of meaningful line in each deal. So yep. like being able to walk down the free cash flow for kind of every deal. And, uh, if it was a sponsor sell side, for instance, they would want to know the sponsor's thesis and wh- what they identified as risk and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Would so, you have done the deal? Um, why or why not? And blah, blah, blah. Yep. That yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, was prepared for all that and got a lot of good looks and, um, uh, decided to go with kind of a well-known family office in their private equity arm. Uh, what was the pay? Was it a paid cut? Cause you were getting paid pretty well by the time you left. Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't a pay cut on the base. It was a slight bump on the base, mm-hmm. um, and then the bonus was. It was probably about the same when it was all said and done. It's around three hundred all um, in, or a little over three hundred. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not bad. Uh, You're still only a few years yeah, out of school. Fair, remember, <laughs> it was a big family office. So yeah, and so you're. You're kind of making the jump there. Is there? Did you have other offers um, from other funds, or um, did you? As soon as you got this, you just grabbed it because it was kind of. Uh, I I was nearing getting an offer from kind of two other, mm-hmm. um, what I'll describe as more typical PE firms. Mm-hmm. Um, got a got this offer from this family office. Had very limited time to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, On purpose, and that's what a lot of these firms <laughs> will do. And you kind of they force you to pull the trigger or not. And I decided to. Um, do you so. reg- do you regret that, or do you feel like it worked out for you? No, no, no. I don't regret it at all. So mm-hmm. I had thought that you know, 
and and this may be informative for some people. If there's one thing that's informative here that I can that maybe I can add value to, it's this. And most people think of family office as it's going to be better from a lifestyle perspective, um, which may actually be true. Like I didn't have, you know, I wasn't getting churned or anything like that. Um, or that it's like, so I've actually heard some of my friends say it's like a really good seat. Like you want to be in a family office. And I don't disagree with that. If you're at a really senior level or you like the slower atmosphere versus a typical kind of, you know, middle market esque private or, you know, large private equity fund or something like that. Right. The downside to a family office, in my opinion, is that one, they're typically going to look at a lot less stuff. Um, they're going to have a really solid thesis and, um, we were investing on the behalf of very few families. So they were hyper involved and, and would basically give a gladiator esque thumbs down on a lot of stuff. Vetoing, Um, vetoing everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And as a junior, you know, you want to get as many reps in as possible because you want to learn as much as possible uh, whether you want to dig in on one industry and just know it cold. So you want to look at 10 deals a month or something like that. Great. Or maybe you want to look at a ton of different industries. So you have some kind of inch deep experience in everything and different valuation methods and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the downside of a family office is you don't really get that very quickly. Things are nixed. Um, and at the end of the day, it's the family making the decision, not your work. And I felt like it kind of marginalized my value add. Um, and that's why I ended up leaving. Got it. So on good terms, by the way, because I expressed that concern very early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I you're like, really yeah, that's, that was my concern and it's now realized. So peace. <laughs> peace. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, family offices are going to invest in secrecy. Uh, there are family offices that, um, I actually interviewed another one that I had no idea existed and they were investing something like a $4 billion book in direct private equity with control. And I was like, I've never even heard of this. Yeah, uh, and I had nice. a pretty good, you know, finger on the pulse of the, of the sponsor market, mm-hmm. um, and had never even come across the name. And then when I joined this firm, you know, they're never going to give you a full picture on how they invest. Um, it's just in the nature of those family offices. So it was hard to figure out in interviews. And then right. when I joined, like recognize there's a lot of smart people and there was really good infrastructure, but uh, not what I was going for. I was going to steepen my learning curve, not kind of sit back and rest on my laurels. Fair. So you felt like there, there was a little bit too much control at the top, which makes sense. Family office, they, they're just, you're not getting the reps that you want and you still felt yourself, you felt semi junior or mid-level and you wanted those reps. Um, and so exactly. you started kind of putting your hat back in the ring. You talk to recruiters again, you go back to the, the, the alumni base. Uh, what, how did you kind of make this next jump? Yeah. So I, you know, went through all the previous recruiters I had talked to, you know, a year or so before, mm-hmm. um, through the process, except for the one that placed me very key. <laughs> <laughs> that it would be a conflict of interest, but, um, yeah, did, did kind of the same thing. And, and I had a very easy story to tell, which was why are you leaving after one year? Well, here's why. And, uh, had a lot of good reception from again, the, the typical sponsor universe and, and got an offer that I really liked and joined, um, I guess five months ago. Um, six months ago and I've really enjoyed it. And it's exactly what I want. I joined a generalist kind of middle market fund. Um, 
with the idea of I want to learn, a, you know, look at as many deals as possible, look at a lot of different industries, um, be able to flex capital up or down. So maybe take part in smaller deals that need, you know, some kind of operating expertise or repair, if you will, mm-hmm. or invest in professionalized businesses and really learn about the best way to put on a capital structure. And we've done that and I've really have learned a lot. So it's exactly what I wanted to sign up for. That's awesome, man. Sounds like you you got to the place you want to get to. Um, so congrats on that. That's not easy. Yeah. Especially yeah. coming from a large <laughs> yeah. state school. You, you, you defied all the odds. Um, we're kind yeah, of top well. of your class all the way through. So that's awesome. I, I, I couldn't have lasted that. I can't believe you did another year. Um, I should build a bracket, <laughs> but it sounds like you were in a, in a great group and um, it sounds like you were involved and they, and the bank was actually pretty cognizant of the fact that they were trying to make things a little bit more palatable for you, for the younger folk by that point. Um, yeah. So I guess before we wrap it up, anything you'd, you'd kind of tell your younger self or any advice for the younger listeners out there and kind of the ones in undergrad or kind of the first few years out? Um, you know, all the stuff about, 